Welcome to episode 14 of the Pennsylvania Project. As you may know, here at the Pennsylvania Project, our vision is a better Pennsylvania. To achieve that vision, our mission is to boldly showcase the political, cultural, and environmental challenges facing contemporary Pennsylvania and to relentlessly, methodically, and vigorously pursue correct solutions. But more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem. And to say it grammatically correctly, as you will hear in a little bit based on one of the questions. We have an active episode planned for you today, and like all episodes of the Pennsylvania Project, it's divided into three parts. You, them, and me. Part one is all about you, your questions, your solutions, your whatevers, your opinions. And rather than a call-in format, we're an email-in format. So if you have something to say, you can contact us at PennsylvaniaProject.com. And you can always listen in afterwards on iTunes, Stitcher, Google, or your favorite podcast provider. Today for the you part, we have a whole bunch of new questions again, starting with the grammatical suggestions, followed by a response to a question from the me portion of episode 12 regarding capital punishment. Well, that should be a killer. Then there's some unlimited sheriffs, some race-conscious sheriffs, and time permitting a response to the question from the me portion of episode 11 about reducing the size of the Pennsylvania legislature. Like I said, it's going to be an active episode. After all that comes part two, which is all about them. Each episode, we host a guest to help showcase the political, cultural, and or environmental issues facing Pennsylvania. Our guest today is both political, political and culturally inspiring. We have a community libertarian activist, Michael Heiss from Montgomery County. And after that comes part three of the Pennsylvania Project, the me part, where it's my turn, your caster, Ken Krawchuk. I'll be focusing on a particular issue that really sticks in my craw. This week, what sticks in my craw is that more people don't vote libertarian. Good grief. And throughout the show, we'll be featuring a Pennsylvania Toastmaster to narrate our live commercials and whatever comes into our mailbag. Today we have with us Drexel University Toastmaster Daniel Graciano. Welcome to the Pennsylvania Project, Dan. Thank you for having me, Ken. Good. Good to see you here. Let me ask a quick question. What do you like about Toastmasters? I think the number one thing that I like is the fact that when it's your turn to go up and speak to the crowd, that they give you a question. You don't expect it. You don't even know what that person's thinking when they ask you the question. And then at that moment, you got to riff for a minute and 30 seconds. Uh Bam. Go. I know. That's why I joined Toastmasters to help me with my political career. I like that one question we had a couple of weeks ago. Hello, 911. What's your emergency? <laughs> Panic. We can go on all night about Toastmasters. Yeah. So let's dig right into that mailbag. And remember, our mission here is not just to complain, but to explore solutions. What do we got, Dan? All right. Well, the first email is from Kent Stabler in Huntington Valley, Pennsylvania. He says, your motto is better than solving the current problem correctly is to solve the correct problem. That's so clunky and grammatically questionable. Hmm. Are you trying to say that you must solve the correct problem correctly? Because your motto implies solving a problem correctly isn't as important, which is objectively untrue. Mm. The two are equally important and equally useless without the other. Perhaps try something along the lines of, to make a difference, solve the correct problem. I don't know. Clunky? Grammatically questionable? Au contraire, Kent. Our motto it exhibits a rhetorical device known as, and I'm going to mispronounce this, antimetaboli. Spell A-N-T-I-M-E-T-A-B-O-L-E. Antimetaboli. That's where you repeat the same words in reverse order. Correct problem, problem correctly. There's the inversion there. 
And it's not to be confused with chiasmus, C-H-I-A-S-M-U-S, which is a repeated theme but without the repeated words. Let me give you an example. Always helps. One of the best known antimetabolies is John F. Kennedy's famous quote. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. It's the same inversion. And there's, to give you an example of the chiasmus, which is not the flipping of the words, but rather just the duality. There's an 80s movie called Angel. And the tagline for that was, honor student by day, hooker by night. So there's the repetition, but not the repetition of words. So the inversion in our motto, it's deliberate. And it's far from grammatically questionable. Did you go to government school? I don't know. I won't say that. And no, there's no connotation of solving the correct problem correctly. The connotation is that there's a sequence of importance, a prioritization of what comes first. Because yes, I do say that solving the correct problem is of more importance than solving the problem correctly. And it is demonstrably, objectively true. Because what value is there in solving a problem correctly if the solution doesn't fit your needs? Good grief. But solving the correct problem, even if done poorly or incompletely, is still useful when you're trying to reach your goal. Where a correctly solved problem, well, that may not be. I mean, that could even be counterproductive. I can't get this out. I think you just asked that question to get me to tie my tongue up. I do agree, though, with your phrasing that to make a difference, solve the correct problem. Absolutely. But it misses the key point that I'm trying to make, that solving the correct problem is more important than solving that problem correctly. Let me give you a simple example. And this is actually from our Toastmasters Club, one of our members who was on, I think, episode nine. She asked me, she said, without taxation, how would you fund an army? Well, for her, the problem she was solving was how to fund an army. But the actual problem to be solved is how do you defend a country? That may not even involve an army. You may, you may have one single invincible weapon that may render an army useless, like, I don't know, like the atomic bomb in 1945. That rendered armies, armies useless. So you didn't have to fund the army. You had to fund the bomb. I'll give you a, a less warlike example, catalytic converter on the car. It does a great job. The problem it solves is to keep the air clean, and it does it very well. But it's expensive, as I just found out from my mechanic. He wants to replace it. But while it solves the problem of preventing an internal combustion engine from polluting the air, the correct problem to solve is how to have convenient transportation without polluting the air. And the correct answer is to have an engine that produces no pollution at all, like like an electric car, where you need no catalytic converter at all. Boy, my mouth's not working today. So without a doubt, the current incarnation of internal combustion engines is a correct solution to the problem of making an internal combustion engine less polluting, but it's a solution to the wrong problem. And everything we do here at the Pennsylvania Project is based on that one antimetaboly of solving the correct problem. Because there are far too many many solutions to the wrong problems, like the war on drugs. It's a solution which creates its own problems, like the opioid crisis, like the abortion debate, which polarizes people against each other, like traffic laws, which destroy respect for the rule of law, like pollution laws, which allow you to actually buy the right to pollute. What the heck? What problem are they solving there? All of them are solving the wrong problem. Well, to paraphrase Damon Wyans from the TV show In Living Color, Candy don't play that. So I'll stick with our anti-metabolistic motto. More important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem. 
Incidentally, I first heard that phrase back in the 70s from a coworker, the best software developer I ever met, Dan Cooper. And I've lived by those words my entire professional career by always asking myself, asking my coworkers the key question, what problem are you solving? Definitely words to live by. The next email is from Larry Fry of Bradford County. He says, as for the death penalty, I don't endorse it in a blanket sense. However, as a healthcare professional, I consider lethal injection, the preferred method today, as an abomination. Intravenous cannulation, a process designed to promote healing and health being perverted to cause to the cause of the death penalty as an obscenity. Yes, there is evil in the world, yet the application of the death penalty today is uneven at best. To that, I cannot support the death penalty. As it, that is, as it is applied today. It is often applied to persons in the lower end of the socioeconomic scale. Not only that, but they are, not only are they less evil, but many of those materially better often don't have the problem of combating these injustices in the application of the death penalty. Hmm. Interesting. <coughs> Excuse me. Larry, you know, you got your example of the intravenous cannulation, a word I never heard before. I had to look that one up. Well, right or wrong, abomination or not, it's still an example. It might be an excellent example of solving the wrong problem. The problem to be solved is not how do we kill somebody humanely, oxymoronic though that may sound. The real problem is what do we do with certain types of criminals? Well, me, I don't endorse the death penalty in any sort of blanket sense. I don't endorse it in any sense. You know, I went into the reasons of my objection to the death penalty in the me part of episode 12, and I won't go into it all here, except to say that if I were elected governor in 2018 when I ran on the libertarian ticket, I would have refused to have signed a single death warrant, I refused to use the power of government to kill. I'm not a murderer. It's probably the key point there. And simply by saying, oh, it's the law, still does not make murder right. But what do we do instead? We do life in prison without chance of parole. You know, I did a web search, and over and over again, I found that was the only answer. Nobody had a separate answer. I did find some people complaining about the cost of keeping someone in prison for life, and rightfully so, but couldn't find any solutions, any good ones. But there is a better solution, one that costs much less overall, a solution that can be used against any crime, not just capital offenses. Of course, it all starts with my favorite question, what problem are you solving? And remember, more important than solving the problem correctly, such as what sort of lethal injection to use or not use, you should really solve the correct problem, which is what to do with lawbreakers, such that they're no longer a threat to society. But before you answer that question, you have to define what you mean by criminal. What do you mean, a murderer, a thief, a fraud? But what about drug dealer, a hooker? Someone who's armed without a permit to carry, heaven forbid. The law would call all those people criminals. But what do we mean by criminal? What do I mean by criminal? Well, it's an easy definition. As a libertarian, I believe you have the right to live your life your way without interference, provided you respect the rights and property of others. It's the lack of respect that makes you a criminal. That's what it is. So the murderer, the thief, the fraud, they're all criminals because they lack respect for the rights and property of others. But the drug dealer, the hooker, the armed person? Well, so long as they respect the rights and property of others, they're not criminals. There's nothing inherently wrong with cannabis or with sex, fortunately, or with being armed. Matter of fact, being armed is good because good for self-defense. 
It's only when someone stops respecting others that they cross in, into criminalhood. Still with me? Now, given that definition of criminal, we can see why people get sent to prison. It's a place where it's much more difficult for them to disrespect us normal, honest folk. But death penalty does that too. But, but the death penalty does not respect the irreplaceable life of the criminal. So what do we do instead? Well, I answer this one could get long. I'm going to keep it short. Let's take a page out of history. Take a page out of Robert Heinlein's short story titled Coventry. See where I'm going? If a person does not act in a libertarian manner, meaning they don't respect the rights and property of others, by their actions they have set the rule that, the, that their rights and property do not need to be respected. So society doesn't need to respect them. So society takes the necessary actions to isolate them, like prison, an expensive prison. But instead we can do what Britain once did. And what the solution outlined in my novel, Atlas Snubbed, mentions. We've got a commercial coming up for that shortly. And also it's mentioned in the Larry Niven, Jerry Purnell novel, Lucifer's Hammer. And it's what is already being done to non-citizens. Exile, deportation, Australia, send the criminals to Australia, send them to Coventry, as Heinlein would say. I can go on about the mechanics of how that exile would take place and how to use it against regular people here in Pennsylvania, just regular burglars. We can kick them out of Pennsylvania. But there may be other opinions. I couldn't find them, as I said. If you know of a, of a different approach, how we can deal with these people, how we can change the prison, prison system, how we can deal with criminals, I'd love to hear it. PennsylvaniaProject.com. Give me an alternative suggestion. I'd love to be there. Oh, you know, the sheriffs are going to have to wait till next week because I can see that we are running already out of time. I spent too much, <clears throat> excuse me, too much time talking about the anti whatever it is. I don't even have the word in front of me. I can't say it. So tell you what, uh, why don't we end the you portion of the show? And we're going to pause for this information. And when we return, we'll be talking with our tenured libertarian community activist, Michael Hayes. Did you hear the latest news? Almost two thirds of all federal spending now goes to pay for the welfare state. More than $2.2 trillion, which just about equals federal income. Do you realize what that means? Virtually all tax revenue is now being consumed by the welfare state. But how do we rein in that runaway spending before it destroys America? The answer? The separation of society and state. That's the premise of the new novel, Atlas Snubbed, an unsanctioned parody sequel to Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. Atlas Snubbed presents a workable alternative to the welfare state as we know it. Atlas Snubbed expertly extends Rand's epic story of a looter's world snubbed by the men of the mind, bringing to life a crumbling post-apocalyptic world where no one need ask who is John Galt, because now they know. Atlas Snubbed, available at all online bookstores or through atlassnubbed.com. Read it today before it's too late. Hey, Ken Crawchuk here, caster for the Pennsylvania Project. You know, it's easy to find a high-paying job. At least for some people it is. Employers are begging for competent leaders who know how to communicate effectively. But do those words describe you? Competent leader? Communicates effectively? If not, or even if they do, you may want to consider joining Toastmasters. The mission of Toastmasters is to provide a supportive environment for learning communication and leadership skills. But does it really work? 
Hey, look at me. I joined Toastmasters, and now I have my own radio show. So turn your life around like I have. Visit Toastmasters.org and contact the club nearest you. Visitors are always welcome, and be sure to mention my name. The future is anxiously awaiting competent leaders who know how to communicate effectively. You can be that leader. It all starts at Toastmasters.org. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here, and welcome to the them portion of episode 14 of the Pennsylvania Project, where we host a guest to help us showcase the political, cultural, and environmental issues facing Pennsylvania. My guest today, I find to be both politically and culturally inspiring, Michael Heise. He's a peace and freedom activist and a libertarian for over 10 years, chair and founder of the Mises Pack here in Pennsylvania, and he's a Montgomery County resident that we stole from Lancaster County recently. Mike, welcome to the Pennsylvania Project. Thanks for having me, Ken. I really appreciate it. Yeah, so do I. Well, you have a real storied past. I mean, you, you, you're still a young guy, but you've been around the block. You've been doing all kinds of stuff. And the Mises Pack, I mean, Mises, that's a, that's a big name when it comes to freedom. It's, it's been a hell of a ride, that's for sure. Uh-huh. What do you do with Mises Group? So what the Mises Pack is, it's, it's a, um, a political action committee uh, and what's called a hybrid pack, meaning it has two bank accounts that serve two functions. Now, it is federally filed, but uh, we, we do plan on using it to support one candidate. Well, I should say some of the others plan on, uh, some of the other boards of directors plan on using it to uh, su- uh, support one candidate here in Pennsylvania, uh-huh. uh, at least. So, Can you say his name? Maj Torre uh-huh. for uh, Philadelphia City Council at large. Nice. So... Um, but it's something that we've built from the ground up, and it's something that we've built to uh, support the Libertarian Party from the ground up. And there's not much infrastructure there, so it's badly needed. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Now, what are you doing with what are they doing with Maj's campaign? Is it just funding, or are you supplying boots on the street? Or well, I'm I'm volunteering, so I, I do all all manner of manual labor, and as as. As the chair of a federally filed pack, that's all I can do. Uh-huh. I'll bet you're doing the, the signature gathering. Yes. Which yeah, I'm doing that. I, you know, yeah. I talk about them every chance I get, like I, like right here, and, uh-huh. you know, where is swag, and... Uh, yes, this is Maj Touré at large, real justice for real Philadelphians. And Maj was our guest on episode four of the Pennsylvania Project. And here we are at 14, so it's 10 ago. And all of our, all of our podcasts are available at PennsylvaniaProject.com. So when I mention, you know, go listen to episode N, well, they're all out there. Maj never disappoints. I know. That was a good time, too. Now, how many signatures is he needing? He needs just over 3,200. 3,200. Do you know what the other at-large candidates need? I know it's less than that. I don't know the exact number. I think it's closer to 1,000. Uh-huh. So he needs more than three times as many. About, about that. Man, when I ran for governor last year, 2018, I needed two and a half times as many signatures as the two old-party candidates even though my job description here, the Pennsylvania Constitution, says all elections shall be equal. I guess some people are more equal than others. Some animals are, are uh, more human than others, or whatever the saying goes at the end of the animal farm. <laughs> oh, yes. Some, or all animals are equal, but some uh, animals are more equal than yes, others. That's how it goes, yes. yeah. I was wondering who you're calling an animal here. <laughs> a lot of political animals. You're doing a lot in the Philadelphia area. You're working with NAPO, I remember. Yep, we uh, we worked with NAPO for the uh, the smoke down prohibition rallies that they had back then, and uh, I'm actually 
kind of parlaying that now into my own personal efforts. I live in uh, Norristown, Pennsylvania right now, and I uh, introduced an ordinance there to the uh, municipal council to actually decriminalize weed in Norristown. How do you do that? I mean, it's it's illegal here in Pennsylvania. What? You, how could you making like a little oasis there in Norristown? Well, there's actually oasis all over the state. Uh, there's you know it's weed. So weed is decriminalized in Philly. It's decriminalized in State College, uh, the Capitol, Lancaster. Uh, so localities are somewhat sovereign, uh-huh. and that's that's kind of how the the federalist system is was designed to be. Uh huh. So, what do you mean when you say decriminalized? It's it's against the law, right? I can't fire up a joint. So it's still it's still against the state law, but it's not going to be enforced by the the local police. And like, it's still technically a crime, but it becomes a summary offense. So you might get in the in the case of the ordinance that I introduced a twenty five dollar fine. Uh huh. Um, but you won't go to jail, and it won't go on your record. Um, now you you asked how did I do that? Um, yeah, I was writing that. So, <laughs> well, it's it's. It's a lot simpler than people might think. I mean, and part of it, I think I got lucky, to be honest. But um, all I did was I started showing up to my, my city council meetings not long after I moved to Norristown. And uh-huh. um, the chief of police there attends the meetings. And I walked up to him and just said, just threw it out there and said, hey, uh, what's what's the state of decriminalization around here? And to my, to my shock, he, he goes... Oh, I don't know, but you know it's time. You know nobody has done the work, and if somebody did the work, I would I would support that. And I'm okay. I'm your, I'm your guy. So, <laughs> oh, so and then I thought I was going to have to do a lot more than I ended up doing. Uh, I thought I was going to have to hit the streets, collect people's emails, and and turn them out to city council to like pressure them. But uh, there was already a lot of support there. So all I did was I I took the language that was passed in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and. Uh, Restructured it so that it would be applicable for the municipality of of Norristown, uh, and just started showing up, started making connections, started introducing myself to the people in the council, and then I emailed it to them and uh, spoke to, you know, about the uh, why we should do this uh, on one occasion, and then they invited me for a workshop that allows for a more extended back and forth type of conversation and. Uh, I brought out uh, Les Stark, who is heads up the Keystone Cannabis Coalition's a marijuana uh-huh. uh, lobbying outfit in, in Pennsylvania, and uh, he was very, very polished and, and helpful, and they got a lot of support, and now it looks like they might, I think they might end up adding language for expungements, uh-huh. which would make it the, the best decriminalization effort in the state. Well, there's, there's one going on right now. I think it's been passed both houses, a clean slate law, which if you, have, if you did not get sentenced... It's just going to take the arrest off your record. So there may be a, a parallel effort there. Now, I want to back up to something you said. Did you introduce the same thing in Lancaster, the same ordinance? No. 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 Who did? Do you know? I'm not even sure. That, I mean, that was, I wasn't a part of that. Uh-huh. I, I wasn't doing all, all of what I'm doing now. I was still forming. Because like I said, the, the Mises Pack is a federally filed national effort that has this tentacles in, in a bunch of states and a bunch of localities. Uh-huh. So I wasn't, you know, doing my own uh, locality at that point. But um, but no, I just looked up the news and, until I found the language and, and just restructured it. So the Mises Caucus was somewhat responsible for Lancaster becoming a free town. No, but it will be for Norristown. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool, man. Do you know, you gave a cookbook recipe for how to change our government. You said you started going to the local meetings, you introduced yourself to people, you started talking about the issues, and you found, much to your surprise, 
It's like lifting a box that you think is filled with something that's empty. It's like, whoa. Yeah. Or going for a step that's not there. Yeah, I mean, you have to bring some tact to it, and I don't know that everybody is going to be able to, <laughs> to be able to walk up to their chief and the chief supports it on the first shot, you know? So uh-huh. in some in some sense, I think I got lucky. But um, because it's something that's going to be popular and because it's something that, that went very smoothly, I'm going to use that to push the envelope on my next efforts. Uh-huh. Do you know, I did a video. As a matter of fact, I did a speech. It's several things that a couple of the libertarian state conventions about becoming a political activist. And that's the same recipe that I use. You know, just show up at your local meeting, just sit in the corner. And I guarantee you they're going to notice you because they always notice new people there. And little by little, they're going to first they'll talk to you and they may ask you to do stuff for them and get up and speak. I, I guarantee you're going to hear something stupid, something unconstitutional, some crazy rule. Yeah, in in a meeting not long after that, they passed a resolution to support making Norristown uh, completely green energy-wise by 2050. 2050? What are they waiting for? Do you know, you can go to – there's all kinds of companies out there. You can have them come in right now and put solar panels on your roof for free, and you just have to buy the electricity they make, and it's cheaper than what the local utility charges. Well, the fact that it went completely, it passed unanimously with no public, uh, no public debate. Twenty fifty. You know, it had me raising my hand like, "Am I allowed to have a point of order?" Like, and, and no, <laughs> like, no, and, you're not. Yeah. But, but you can, but you can speak. You get, I think it's three minutes under Pennsylvania law. Yeah, you're allowed to speak on anything that comes before your local board. So if if you listeners go to your local town council meeting, and they say you can't speak, they're absolutely wrong. You could tell them, "I heard it from Ken Crawchuk." I'll, I will. I will use that. I'll put that in their crawl because they told me. I, I, they told me I couldn't speak. Yep. Anything that is or will be or has a reasonable chance of coming up before them, you get three minutes. And if not during the meeting when they're talking about it before their vote, but at the end of their meeting if they're not voting at that particular time. I mean, that's that's key. Everybody should be going to their local meetings. That's how I got started. Look at me. I'm running for governor. Well, it's where we have the most impact as well. You know, I mean, it was in the grand scheme of things, relatively easy to get this done, you know, and now I have some street cred, you know, it's going to be a very popular thing for, for that to pass. And like I said, now that I'm going to use that as a basis to push the envelope. Uh So, and how I plan on pushing the envelope after this is I want to follow it up uh, with taking language that was uh, used in a recent uh, ordinance issue in Denver, Colorado to say, all right, we did weed. Now, how about shrooms? Let's 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 decriminalize shrooms. shrooms. You mean psilocybin? Psychedelic mushrooms. Uh huh. And I'm I'm fully expecting a unanimous every single person says, no, you're crazy. But I'm going to use. Well, I'm going to. I'd say politically, you may be crazy, but <laughs> you know, psilocybin. I you know, I'm not sure of all of the long term medical effects of that. Well, that's that's part of why I want to start the conversation because there has been a, a renaissance in in psychedelic science, uh-huh. and it's it's very important uh, because so it, it's being led out of Johns Hopkins University in in Baltimore, uh-huh. and with psilocybin in particular, they're finding that it really does help long term uh, when when mixed with therapy on the big three um, psych or uh, uh, psychological issues that people face, being depression, anxiety, uh, and Oh God! I'm gonna brain fart on the third one. <laughs> but but uh, but so like another one of the first studies they did with it is they they extrapolated all of the the elements of what would constitute a religious experience or a mystical experience, and then they 
you know, played with the dosing, and they found out that they could really induce uh-huh. this. And you know, this oh, is addiction! Old. Addiction was the third one. Okay, and this is old because this goes back to Timothy Leary in the '60s, because he did a lot of work, and he found out everything what you're saying there. So this is what's that? That's like 50 year old, 60 year old information, but it's been. It's been kept under a lid because of this insane war on drugs. The, so the big hurdle that was crossed was that the FDA has actually designated psilocybin and MDMA uh, as breakthrough therapy medications. And that kind of, that kind of uh, opened the floodgates. So um, the yeah. Mises PAC actually got involved with the effort in Denver, Colorado. And it's the first, of, first effort of its kind. Uh-huh. I don't know. To me, doesn't it seem a little like, overkill? Like somebody's got a depression problems, say, here, have some acid. Well, I don't know if acid will work. Uh, that's <laughs> well, like... <laughs> psilocybin, I, maybe I'm, I'm lumping them all together. I was a child of the 60s. I was in high school in the late 60s, college in the early 70s. So I was right in the middle of that drug culture, and I've seen people in class fall over out of their chair right in front of me because they were doing these things. Well, part of, so part of the research would be um, responsible use, and, of course, that's what everybody yes. is going to be uh, promoting. Because uh, it's not like you just say, all right, you know, just go out on the street, throw some shrooms back, and your depression's cured. You're fine. <laughs> you know, like, uh, there's there's a process for it. And I think it's going to be a revolution in how we handle mental health care, to be honest with you. Good grief. Um, what they found was that 70% of the participants, and they only did three sessions with them. So three sessions of, of, of uh, psilocybin-assisted therapy, 70% rate of quitting cigarettes. Wow. I smoked cigarettes for a long time, and... I quit accidentally. I was on a camping trip, and I was out. And it was like three days before I was out of the woods and got a, had, had a chance to get cigarettes. But by then, I was over the hump. I don't know. I'd have to look into that more. It's very interesting. It's, and it's, I'm, I, it's something <coughs> I'm very proud to have uh, been a part of with the Mises Pack. Well, we'll see. My guest today, libertarian community activist Michael Heise, and you're listening to The Pennsylvania Project, Episode 14. I'm your caster, Ken Krawchuk. And we'll be right back after this information. Do you need a state inspection, emissions testing, tires, brakes, exhaust, suspension work, or routine factory scheduled maintenance? For all of your automotive service needs, visit Wallace Auto Service at 700 East Haverford Road in Burnmar, Pennsylvania. Wallace Auto can has, even has Phillips 66 gas stations where you can fill up at great low prices. Check out Wallace Auto online at wallaceautoservice.com or call them at 610-658-9000. For over 16 years of Wallace Auto Service has been proud to serve Bryn Mawr, Haverford area. Stop in, say hello, and fill up your tank at Wallace's great low prices. That's Wallace Auto Service and Phillips 66 Gas Station at 700 East Haverford in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania. Or just give them a call at 610-658-9000. Thinking about getting your first tattoo? Maybe you're ready to add to that sleeve you started. Or cover up that one regretful choice. Put Sam C. and his team of artists at Iron Will Tattoo Club in Glenside, Pennsylvania at the top of your list. The team at Iron Will has plenty of designs to choose from. They can create an original design or work with the design that you provide. Call 267-893-7625 today to schedule your free consultation. That's 267 8 we rock or visit them on Instagram at Iron Will Tattoo Club. Are you a small business owner always looking for referrals? 
Do you have a streamlined approach to generating new referrals? Contact Stephen Worley to learn the fast, easy way to generate new referrals. Stephen has an all-inclusive system that will help you generate an extra 5 to 10 customers per week without spending a single dollar on ads. You don't even have to create a website, have pictures taken, or write a single ad. Stephen will take the headache out of the entire process. Contact him at stephenworley.com. That's Stephen with a V, W-E-R-L-E-Y dot com. Are you arranging your finances in the most tax-efficient way possible? Call Freedom Financial Tax at 866-401-1090 today to find out. At Freedom Financial Tax, we use creative tax solutions like infinite banking to make sure that you're keeping as much of your hard-earned money as possible. Let Freedom Financial Tax help you out with a comprehensive tax plan. Call Freedom Financial Tax now at 866-401-1090. Hey, Ken Crosshock here again, and we're back with episode 14 of the Pennsylvania Project. And our guest, the libertarian peace and freedom activist, Michael Heiss, chair and founder of Mises Pack, and a Monco libertarian that we stole from Lancaster County. We're back. You know, you and I, I guess we go back a couple of years now. You're, I mentioned before the show that most of the guests I have and I've never met before, but you and I, we've, I guess we first got together with uh, Mike Salvi's group, uh, Truth, Freedom, and Prosperity. That's where I found this whole underground crazy world. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's true. And we did a lot of fun stuff with that, too. Yeah. Think back on, on probably some of the – one of the things you mentioned was you wound up with a video camera at the police station – so yeah, so as in my journey, I, I did my own podcast for a little while, and part of that was, you know, doing doing YouTube videos. So man on the street at videos, and I don't want to call them stunts, but stunts uh-huh. <laughs> to, to to make a point. And um, yeah, and you, you got to do something, some kind of a hook to drag people in. Yeah, what's what was the name of your channel? Uh, the Big Plantation. The Big Plantation. Is it still there? It's still there, but it hasn't been updated in quite some time. That was the name of the podcast. Uh-huh. Um, so what you're referring to is one video that I did where um, uh, Diane Feinstein had introduced a bill to outright ban a whole bunch of like named rifles and anything that uh, hmm. accepted a detachable magazine. It was crazy. So I took it upon myself to go to four police stations with a whole bunch of copies of the language of the bill, and I walked in open carrying my handgun, to the lobby and with a camera, you know, I didn't have a very good camera phone at the time, uh, with a camera and uh, basically saying, I would like to talk to a police officer about gun laws. Uh-huh. And uh, so they would send somebody out and basically the, the, <laughs> the pitch was like, here's the language, here's what the Constitution says, here's what the Pennsylvania Constitution says where it's even more, you know, clear. It says, shall not be questioned. So right. you and I both right. know that even if this were to clear the Supreme Court that it's BS. And so, therefore, enforcement's going to fall on you. Would you actually do this? You know, and... What kind of a reaction did you get? I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of ballsy, right? Going <laughs> to a police station? I don't want to talk to a cop? That's the kind of thing I, pr- I prided myself on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, the response was... Um, it was interesting. I, I, so I went to four police stations. I recorded three of them. And the three all towed the line. But... Um, you could tell, especially in the, the one in Carnarvon, Pennsylvania, that 
he didn't want to toe the line. You uh-huh. know what I mean? And then, cool. and then uh, I went to the police station in Callen, and that's where I grew up. And so they actually knew who I was, so they got, like, mad. and <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, and So I, that was the one I didn't record, but when I wasn't recording, they towed the line. A prophet is not without honor except in his own country. <laughs> right out of the Bible. I'm not surprised. Now, I'm going to back you up there. You said Feinstein had a bill against named rifles. Now, the first thing I thought of was from the Firefly TV show when who Jane had his gun and it was called Vera, and he, he wanted to swap Vera for. So what I mean by that else. is just a, a, a variety of specific guns. So we're going to ban AK-47s. We're going to ban AR-15s. Uh-huh. You know, like spe- specifically named guns. So not not Vera or. Yeah, no, not my not do, my do you bud. Need, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. I, I won't go into the names that I give to my guns. Some of them aren't repeatable on the air too. Well, again, you, this is a a cookbook. For how to how to start changing your world, you know, walk up. It isn't aren't you nervous doing that? Were you a toastmaster? How did you, how did you get the courage to get up there and do that? Uh, I I felt it was the right thing to do. Oh man, righteous anger. There's another <laughs> line right out of the Bible. Here's here's another fun cop one. Uh, this is also on YouTube. I I had done something called Operation Peace with Police, and this was like not long after uh-huh. one of the high. I think I forget when it was, but like. I think it was in California where somebody ended up shooting two cops and then you have the, you know, all the mass shootings and everything. And so what I was trying to do was open up a conversation, a dialogue with police officers and say, why don't you tell us about the stresses of what it's like to be a cop and how terrible that is? And, and, you know, and we'll tell you about what it's like to be afraid to have a car behind us for no reason at all. And, Uh and, and what it's like to be afraid to, for any, you know what I mean? Like, and you know, there's books out there that you, that, would show that the average American commits three felonies a day and they don't know it, and that's how many laws there are. And I believe So it. there's very good reason to be afraid, and they, they want to act like that's not relevant. Yeah. Well, th- nobody wanted to talk to me. I'm not surprised. And, I mean, people break laws all the time. You just drive on the highway. But, but how crazy is it that nobody would talk to me about, no cops would talk to me about peace with police. You know, I was walking up to them, shaking my hand, my name's Michael Heiss, you know, like, and, <laughs> and nobody. Uh-huh. Good grief. I went through the police academy, and I have a, I have a very different view of, of the police because I found that they care very deeply and honestly for the communities that they serve. So I'm surprised that they wouldn't want to talk about something like that. They always want to improve relations with the community, but I, I think it's – personally, I don't think it's going to be possible until they change some of these laws because the cops are picking on us for things they shouldn't. You know, I was a libertarian. I believe you have the right to live your life your way, provided you respect the rights and property of others. Cops don't believe that. You know, like, for example, if you roll a stop sign, they're going to give you a ticket. What the hell? Everybody rolls stop signs. Well, the incentives for police are, and, and police work, I should say, are, are flipped from what they should be. You know, so, for example, um, there's these there's federal grants called burn grants, and these are given out uh, to towns and, and cities uh, based on how much they enforce the drug laws. So the more arrests you make, the more money you get. Uh-huh. So, you know, I didn't, I didn't see, well, I did see it at the police academy. I take that back. Because we get a piece of every ticket that, that we write, and it's a general pool of the state, and they divide it up according to some formula. So, yeah, it is a, it is a money-making deal, but it, it's not that much. That's one thing the lieutenant made. He's actually the chief now. The point that the lieutenant made is that it came out to like $17 a ticket or something like that. And in order to pay for one officer, he'd have to be out there on the street 
all the time. If we did nothing but write tickets, it wouldn't pay his salary. Well, that's just one stream, you know. So you got the you got the burn grants, and then you got other grants for using SWAT teams. And now all of a sudden, SWAT teams are called out forty thousand times a year, not for hostage situations, but for drug busts that might turn up like a nickel bag of weed sometimes. Uh-huh. And you know that gets them a stream of federal money. That federal money is sweet, you know, and it comes with strings. Yeah, well, that brings us back to something in my own experience, and I mentioned this a couple episodes ago, and if I. It was on episode nine, what sticks in my craw. I've worked at DUI checkpoint, and the amount of money they waste on that is enormous. We had a small army of people, like 50 people, and all night long they, they hauled away eight people in irons, and the worst part was none of them were drunk, not one. How, and how many of, of the people that, so how many, uh, relative to that, how many people got hit for like expired license, inspired tags, well, none, headlight, taillight? None. Because, no, because no, my, my role there, on the first one I went to, I was a trainee. So I was all over the place. I was out on the street. I was back there when they were interviewing the, the quote-unquote not drunks, you know, the people who weren't drunk. I, was, I had donuts, nothing better than the donuts. And one of the things they trained me to do was uh, do the search of the car because I had to take the key and write up, you know, his license number, here's the guy's name and everything. All the, the paperwork involved with it, I was trained in doing that. But at no point was I instructed to look for expired anything. So in my experience, that, that wasn't there. And uh, that was the first one. The second one, I was the car counter out on the line. So I sat there, right there on the front, right on the edge of the street, counting each car as it went by. And as the cops are talking to people, I did not see one single person get pulled over except people who are being pulled back for being under the suspicion of being drunk. But there are no tickets, there, is, there are no citations, no searching of cars, nothing like that. Did, do you, have you seen otherwise? Uh, yeah, I've seen, uh, this, this, yeah, the statistics that I have read show that. And then not only do they, they show that they get more victimless crimes than drunk drivers, but they show that it's not even, if you want to get drunk drivers, it's not even as effective to do the checkpoints as it is oh, to have yeah. roving patrols. And, and I talked about that, too, back in Episode 9 when I was ranting about that. The FBI says that they're more effective. Plus, you wind up catching people who are short on sleep. Somebody may have just had an argument with their wife, and they're just angry and driving around funny. Or somebody may be on prescription drugs. So they're, they're just much more effective. It comes back to what problem are you solving? And if the problem is to have safe highways... DUI checkpoints are not the way to do it because they, they don't protect your inalienable rights. I mean, it's, it's like Nazi Germany. Your papers, please. Where are you going, sir? Where have you come from? And then if you dare say, like, I believe that's my business, they get, like, offended. It's really weird. Oh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a really weird dynamic. Uh, you know, and I, I haven't found that. You know, you just smile at the policeman. and I just say, am I required to answer that question? And they say, no, you're not required to say anything. In fact, you can treat police like furniture in Pennsylvania. You're not required to identify yourself to a cop. Now, when you're behind the wheel, there are, some, there are different rules. But there's one thing I want to try. When a cop says, can I see your driver's license and owner's card? I want to say, if I had such things, could you use them against me? Well, the answer is yes. Well, I want to say, well, under Article 1, Section 6 of the Pennsylvania Constitution and the Fifth Amendment, I don't have to incriminate myself, so do I, do I have to give them to you? What's the cop going to say? He's going to say yes. yes. He's going to say, wait a minute. I don't have to give evidence against myself. You're going to use this against me. Can you use this against me? 
kind of see your driver's license. Are you going to use this against me? I didn't hear an answer. Are you going to use this against me? I don't have to do this. I'd like to do that sometime when they I have. They get tense when you, when you start to do that. They start to escalate and make you submit. Of course. Hands on the wheel, right? You can see your hands. And, of course, your cell phone is going to be recording the whole thing. But other than live streaming to the web, I guess it would be best. Yeah, that way it can't get destroyed even if they, the phone does. Mm-hmm. Good grief. Under ominous circumstances. It sounds like we're both on the same side of the fence here on the checkpoints. <coughs> yeah, there's, there are no cough buttons here when you cough. Sorry. The whole yeah. world gets it. <laughs> I'm still waiting for our executive producer, Mark, to cough. He hasn't done it yet. He loves his cigarettes. So do I. I still miss him. Good grief. What's it been? 1983, I quit smoking. I could start again in a New York minute. And you know what? Everything goes by in a New York minute because we're... We're just about out of time, Mike. This always goes too fast. And there's still there's other things I want to talk about here. I want to talk about Ron Paul. I want to talk about some of the local stuff here, about uh, ballot initiatives that we're working on here in Pennsylvania. But you're, you're coming across more as a national guy. I mean, you've got fingers all over the country. We do. Man. We do. It's, it's very exciting, and it's, it's something that's happened rapidly in the past year and a half. Uh-huh. Any, any last-minute things you want to get in, a website or someplace you'd like people to, to go visit? So LP Mises Caucus, that's M-I-S-E-S-C-A-U-C-U-S uh, dot com. We write content. We put out news, uh, building our email list. Uh, and <clears throat> you can also go to MisesPack.com, and you can make a recurring monthly donation for as little as 5 bucks a month to help us engage in these local, well, local candidates' uh, support as well as initiatives and issue-based coalitions and uh, mm-hmm. partnerships in localities across the country, including Pennsylvania. Okay. Well, we'll have all of those URLs out on our show notes from the website, PennsylvaniaProject.com. Mike, that's going to just about wrap it up for the them portion of our show. Thanks again for coming in. It's been a good conversation. Thanks for appearing on the Pennsylvania Project. We're going to pause for this information And when we return, I'm going to be ranting about something that really sticks in my craw. Why people don't vote Libertarian. The following is a commercial announcement. Hey, Dan, how's it going? Uh, It could be better. Why? What's the matter? I just found a great job, but I can't take it. Why not? They want me to go as a 1099 contractor. So? So what about all the taxes? The federal tax, the state tax, this tax, that tax. I have better things to do than figuring out which tax laws and filing out all those forms. I'm a libertarian, remember? Well, then you need Amendment 16. Hey, it's the damn 16th Amendment that got me into this predicament in the first place. No, no, no. Amendment 16, the invoicing service. They'll invoice your client for the hours and expenses you report to them, and when your client pays them, they pay you. Minus all required federal and state taxes. It's that easy. One call does it all. And they'll even have an accountant do your personal taxes for you come April Fool's Day. I mean, come April 15th. And they take care of all the taxes, <coughs> all the forms? Yep. And they can pass along certain tax breaks, too. Whoa, that, that sounds perfect. Where do I find them? On the web, of course, at amendment16.com, with 16 spelled out. That's amendment-s-i-x-t-e-e-n.com. One call does it all. You've been registered as a libertarian for years, voted for libertarians even longer, and lived by the libertarian principles all your life. Now it's time to take the next step and join the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. Keep abreast of the March Towards Liberty in Pennsylvania. Take an active role in making it happen. Maybe even consider running for local political office yourself. 
It all starts with joining the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. It's easy, fast, and only $20 a year. So visit LPPA.org to sign up today. That's LPPA.org. Do it today. It's a freer future is waiting. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here again. And welcome to the me portion of episode 14 of the Pennsylvania Project, where I get to rant a bit about something that really sticks in my craw. You know what sticks in my craw? That more people don't vote libertarian. I don't understand it. But why? Why should they vote libertarian? Well, it's a good question. But before we can answer that question, we have to say, what is a libertarian? We need to define a libertarian. Then we can talk about why we should or shouldn't vote libertarian and the results of doing so. So what's a libertarian? Well, we libertarians are different from the two old parties because we are the party of principle. Every law we support, every law we oppose can all be traced back to one central idea, the idea that your life is yours, that your property is yours, that you have the inalienable right to live your life your way without interference, provided only that you respect the rights and property of others. That's it. That's what it means to be a libertarian. Your life, your way. It's the golden rule on, a political to- on the political level. We're the ultimate party of tolerance and respect for the individual. And the public has reacted very strongly to that message. Since our founding in 1971, we have grown to become the third largest party in Pennsylvania, hands down, and in the nation. We have almost 50,000 registered libertarians in Pennsylvania. That outnumbers all the other third parties combined. At last count, we had almost 150 elected and appointed officials serving nationwide, 40 here in Pennsylvania. And again, that's more than all the other third parties put together. And we're still growing. On the political scene, I like to refer to us as the 800-pound chihuahua. So that's what a libertarian is. Your life, your way, as long as you respect others. Now, why should you vote for a libertarian? First off, you're going to know that the person you're going to vote for is going to let you live your life your way. Not Obama's way, not Trump's way, not Lyndon LaRouche's way, not my way, not the highway. Your way. With the two old parties, you're never quite sure where they stand because they keep changing their platform. This year they're against war. Next year you're in favor of war. Trump's against it. Trump's in favor of it. And then you've got to check again six months from now because they change it. You've got to stick your finger to the wind and say, what changed? Well, we libertarians were principled. What we believed when we first were founded in 1971, we still hold those principles today. Personal freedom tempered by individual responsibility. Your life, your way. One thing I hear a lot when I say you should vote libertarian is like, oh, it's a wasted vote. You're wasting your vote vote for a libertarian. That's a bogus argument. Think of it this way. I would rather vote for what I want and maybe not get it than vote for what I don't want and then, heaven forbid, get it. Good grief. You know, you're voting for people that you don't agree with. And they may say, oh, no, I, I, I got to vote for Hillary. I got to vote for Trump because I don't want the other guy to win. So I, I'm going to vote for the lesser of two evils so the eviler person doesn't win. But wait a minute. Look at this logically. You're still voting for an evil. And if you do vote for either one of those evils, you know, they don't see you holding your nose as you vote for them. All they see is your vote. And they think, oh, the voters think I'm wonderful. They think my plans are excellent. Oh, they just absolutely love me. And they take that as support 
for all their policies, one of them after the other one, and then they're going to go implement these things. They think they got a mandate to do it. Was that your goal when you voted for the lesser of two evils? Good grief. I bet not. I mean, I didn't vote for Hillary. I didn't vote for Donald. I voted for Gary Johnson for president because I know that Gary's going to let me live my life my way, and the other two aren't. Voting libertarian sends a very strong message that you don't support their mandate. You don't support their programs. And when enough of us start to do that, they start to change their policies. And Mike Heiss and I just had discussions about how that happens. Look at the war on drug users. He's got the chief of police in Norristown Borough on board. Finally, that horror is starting to crumble. We already have recreational cannabis in, I don't know, what is it, eight states, 10 states? I don't even know how many. They're one after the other. And you know, society didn't collapse from legalizing all this stuff. So let's vote libertarian. Vote for what you want. Don't vote against something. Vote in favor of something. Think of your vote as a dollar. You know, when you go into a store, you, you buy the best possible thing you can. You don't go in and get a rotten tomato. You look for the best possible tomato. One at good grief. I, I mean, to me, it's, it's just to quote Irv Homer, in whose seat and shoes I'm trying to fill, it boggles the mind that people don't do this. It's clear to me the only wasted vote is the vote that you cast for one of the two old parties. I mean, there, there's so many reasons to vote libertarian. There are economic reasons, social reasons, personal reasons, moral reasons. I mean, I don't know if I have enough time to go into it all. Let, let me just try and take them one at a time. Economic reasons. Do you know what happens whenever the government gets involved in, in an economic issue? I mean, just look at the cost of government versus inflation. Here in Pennsylvania, over the, looking over the last 50 years, on average, the cost of government in Pennsylvania has been rising, on average, more than three times the rate of inflation. doesn't matter if it's a Democrat or Republican in there. In 1964, Harrisburg took in about $100 per person. Today, it's over $2,500 per person and still rising. Republicans, Democrats, high inflation, low inflation, doesn't matter. Good times or bad, the direction is up, up, up. And you know why? 80% of the Pennsylvania budget is giveaway programs. 60% nationally, not that we're national here. Two old parties, they're bankrupting the nation. So there's a huge economic reason to vote libertarian. Social reasons, so many social reasons. I could be here for the next week. Like, just look at gay marriage. Pennsylvania had to be dragged kicking and screaming into that with their marriage licenses. Of course, I'm a, we libertarians are against that. Do you know why, why marriage licenses were first instituted? To prevent interracial marriages. You know, you go to a black audience, they know. You go to most, nor, most white audiences, they don't know. And now they're using those same racist techniques to stop gay marriages. Good grief. Who's government to get in the way of true love? Personal reasons to get involved. This is the same war on drugs. I mean, I look at my brother. He's a, he's a cancer survivor, but the doctor told him the best thing that he could do to take care of the, the sickness from chemotherapy was to get high. Drug laws made my brother a criminal. Why are we persecuting sick people? Good grief. And then there's the bathroom bills where they force opinion A onto the state or opinion B onto the state. Back in episode nine, I talked about how we don't have to force anybody's opinion onto the state when it comes to bathroom bills. So personal reasons to vote libertarians. Moral reasons. Taxation. Great, 
great one right there. <clears throat> Excuse me, because, well, if I took your wallet, I'd be a thief. If we here in this room voted to take your wallet, we'd all be thieves. But somehow when it's Philadelphia who votes, or Pennsylvania, it became okay. We crossed a line somewhere. But it's clear to me, taxation is theft. That's why you should vote libertarian. Putting a libertarian in charge of reducing taxation, it'd be the same thing as putting a Jesuit in charge of an abortion clinic. Guaranteed to reduce something that you think is, is immoral. Well, I can go on and on about why you should vote libertarian, economic, social, personal, moral reasons, whatever they are, but let me sum it up. If you want somebody who's going to let you live your life your way, if you want to keep more of your heart on pay, if you want to help more people, if you want to do the right choice, the right thing, there's only one choice. Vote libertarian. Because if you keep on voting libertarian, you're going to keep wanting just what you've been getting. And I don't know about you, but I have had enough. On that blunt note, that's going to about wrap it up for episode 14 of the Pennsylvania Project. If you have something to say, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at PennsylvaniaProject.com, and you can hear us there as well on iTunes and other popular podcast providers. Today's episode is courtesy of Amendment 16 Limited, recorded live at the studios of WWDB Radio, broadcasting at 10 a.m. every Saturday at 8.60 a.m. in Philadelphia, and released as a podcast every Tuesday morning at PennsylvaniaProject.com. I'd like to thank our webmaster, Stephen Worley, marketing guru, Connor Dragotis, our featured Toastmaster narrator, Daniel Graciano from Drexel University Toastmasters, our keyboard wizard playing in the background, Joe the Pag, our radio producer, Brett Kronberger, executive producer who did not cough, Mark Vazako, and me, your caster, Ken Krawchuk. Thanks for joining us, and remember, grammatically speaking, more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem.